everybody welcome back to unwise girls your favorite podcast hopefully about all of rick riordan's funny little books we're coming back it's i'm your (laughs) i'm your host jacqueline hello it's me jane and jane is also here how are you doing today janey I am doing pretty good. I ordered some funny little Lego men in the mail and they arrived today. Lego men? That's awesome. Were they Percy Jackson Lego men? Uh, They unfortunately are not. They're little clone troopers. Oh, that's fine. Nerd. How are you today? Yeah, rude. Uh, No, it's okay. Uh, I'm good. I'm excited to talk about these chapters. Mm -hmm. So I guess we should get right into it. And I can deliver all of you the sweet, sweet summary. Let's go. Chapter 5. I get a new cabin mate. At the increasingly militarized Camp Half-Blood, Percy, Tyson, and Annabeth find Chiron, who reveals that he's been replaced as director because the gods blame him for not stopping the tree poisoning, even though to Percy's mind it was clearly Cronus' fault. Annabeth is distraught, but swears upon the sticks at Chiron's insistence that she'll protect Percy because of the mysterious prophecy that Percy doesn't know about yet. On the way to dinner, we're introduced to Hephaestus cabin leader Charles Beckendorf and the new Hermes cabin leaders Travis and Connor Stoll. At dinner proper, Chiron's replacement, Tantalus, announces that he's reinstating the dangerous sport of camp chariot racing, which Clarice is against because it'll interfere with patrol. He also humiliates Tyson for being a monster with nowhere to belong before, surprisingly, Tyson is claimed by Poseidon. Chapter 6 Demon Pigeons Attack Percy is being bullied by the other campers for having a Cyclops brother, and he's on the defensive. He's not really my brother and all that. When Annabeth and Percy start on designs for a chariot, though, Annabeth calls Tyson a monster and Percy gets pissed. They argue and break up the team and Percy joins with Tyson instead. The next few days are like, you know, Pegasus lessons from daughter of Aphrodite, Selena Beauregard, uh, sword training with Apollo Cabin, Tyson uh, forging things with Hephaestus Cabin, and evening border patrol. Tyson and Percy have a little heart-to-heart, and when Percy falls asleep, he dreams of Grover, who tells him he's being held captive by the Cyclops Polyphemus, and that he's bonded his soul and life to Percy's. At the chariot races the next morning, the campers compete fiercely, until Stymphalian birds descend and attack. Annabeth and Percy use the cacophony of Chiron's Dean Martin collection to drive the birds away, and Clarice is deemed the race's winner as the only one who crossed the finish line. Chapter 7. I accept gifts from a stranger. The gang, Annabeth, Tyson, and Percy, are punished by Tantalus for the bird attack, and during, they work out that Grover found the Golden Fleece, which can cure Thalia's tree, and he's trapped somewhere in the Sea of Monsters, located in the Bermuda Triangle. After some campfire songs that night, They publicly announce that, to force Tantalus into giving them a quest, but he gives it to Clarice instead, and then scares the kids with the story of how he used to be a king until he was forsaken by the gods, who he stole from and also fed his children to. 
after Percy and Tyson have another heart-to-heart with Percy Lumens, Tyson's bad life, he goes out onto the beach where he meets a mysterious jogger who turns out to be Hermes, god of thieves and travelers, who gives him some advice and journeying supplies, including a lunchbox with the four winds inside, just in case, and chewable multivitamin gummies, and also asks for Percy's help to save Luke. Chapter 8. We board the Princess Andromeda. Tyson and Annabeth run over to find Percy alone, and after the gang decides to head out on a forbidden quest and Percy implores his dad for help, the gang ride out on Poseidon-gifted hippocampi toward a nearby cruise liner Hermes pointed out to him as a good destination to go to. They arrive at the huge ship Princess Andromeda, Tyson sadly parts from his hippocampus named Rainbow, and when they board, Tyson warns them that there's a bad smell like monsters all around. They find an empty suite to sleep in for the night, and Percy dreams of Kronos taunting him and Grover buying time until Polyphemus eats him. Uh, when they all wake up, they hear an announcement that they're late for disemboweling practice. Through the ship, things are weird. People are acting like robots and hellhounds are eating scrambled eggs. When they hear a familiar voice, they hide and listen. It's Luke, arguing with someone named Agrius about a trap they've set and a coffin to be checked on. The gang decide to take on Luke before leaving. What do you think of these chapters? Uh, they're an improvement for sure. Oh, they absolutely are. Uh, I, I still have thoughts and opinions, TM, about them. But there are some like really great scenes in here and bits that I enjoyed quite a lot. Oh, yeah. And I think, I think we're on the upswing. Absolutely. Okay. Should we just start with the Tyson in the room? We we should address the Tyson in the room. Okay, hello Tyson. Uh, thank you for being in the room. I I would like to t- talk today to you, Tyson, and also listeners about the way that you're written in this book. Yeah. And he's kind of a character, right? He's kind of a character now. But he's still not really a character. Mm-hmm. He's, and I. This isn't entirely bad. Um, some of this is okay. Like, some of this is, like, it works as, like, the story. Because Tyson's function currently is to be, like, Percy's weird brother. Mm-hmm. Like, it's the old story of, like, you you have a sibling who's weird, and you're, like, you get bullied because they're weird, and you're their sibling. Yeah. And you, like, get really defensive about that. But also, like, if somebody talks shit about them, you will be like, hey, only, like, you can't say that. Like, he's a great brother, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It's, so I think on that level, this is another example of, like, this is good. um... A good way of making it, like, relatable for kids. Yeah, it's a good way of making it relatable for kids. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's good. Tyson still is a little bit of a caricature, though. I think it's gotten slightly better in these chapters, just because, like, some of the comedy scenes that Tyson's in aren't about, haha, he is large and ugly and dumb, and more a case of just, he doesn't understand this world that is completely magical and that he could not possibly understand. And that feels, like, a lot less mean-spirited. Which is interesting, because he is, a like, a cyclops. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, the Tyson stuff is improving, I still hope to see more from him. I guess. I'm wondering if this is something that can actually be, like, pulled back from, or if, like, Tyson is just at his core conceptually rotten. 
I I don't know if he's conceptually rotten. I think he's a very he's mishandled. Mm-hmm. But I think the hmm hmm because you you're right. It is it is getting better. There's there's other things like like what you were saying before about um the other the campers talking shit about Tyson is that like the way he's treated is becoming a lot more a function of like the characters as opposed to coming from like the authorial voice. Yeah, and that's like it's we bullying is like a topic in Percy Jackson. This is like yeah. a consistent theme, mm-hmm. and so it's good to see it. Like, look, we're getting different angles on it. Yeah, that's 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 important. That's good, but it's hmm. I don't know. It's good. It's it's. I mean, it's not all good, but it's it's still like that's that part is good. Yeah, it, that part is. I think I just think in general the story starts getting a lot better like as soon as Tyson gets claimed. Mm-hmm. Also, there's this really interesting parallel between the first few chapters where the bully comes in and is like Tyson is Arsler, uh, and Percy's like Tyson is not Arsler, and uh, these chapters where Annabeth, while building a chariot with Percy, is like Tyson's a monster. And Percy's like, you can't call him a monster. He's not a monster. Yeah, I noticed that as well. He, he reacts in a very similar way. I think it's interesting to establish that parallel. Because I think it works with the, who Annabeth is as a character. Who isn't like always super like emotionally like... Intelligent. Yeah, not always emotionally intelligent. She is a bit of a 13-year-old. Yeah. So I guess it's like Annabeth is being a bit of a bully. And I think it's good to show that, like, sometimes you have friends who are, like, treating someone wrong, and you should stand up for that person, even if they're your friends. Yeah, and I guess it's also a case of, like, bullying isn't always Clarice trying to drunk dunk your head in the toilet. It can sometimes just be, like, someone making an offhand shitty remark. Yeah, like, oh, all those all those Cyclops are treacherous and deceitful, you know. And he's just another one of the like it's 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 mm-hmm. it's interesting to get from Annabeth, and I actually do appreciate that we got it. Yeah. Speaking of Cyclops. Okay, I was gonna go speaking of Clarice, but I'll go after you. Oh, okay. Uh, speaking of <laughs> speaking of Cyclops, uh, we we get the name of the villain of this book in this in these chapters, uh, Polyphemus. Yeah. Who is the big Cyclops who is holding Grover captive. Mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily mention it in the description of the chapters, but Grover has a special little strategy to not get found out and not get eaten. He does. That special little strategy is that he's pretending to be a lady Cyclops. Guy in dress joke or cute Norse mythology reference, you decide. Tell me about the mythology reference. Uh, the mythology reference would be um, to uh, Thor's hammer getting nicked by uh, the ice giants, I think. And basically, to get it back, uh, Loki brings Thor in disguised as uh, a woman who like will marry one of the ice giants, and they'll give Mjolnir as a dowry. And so uh, Thor has to spend like the entire wedding party like pulling his veil down, trying to avoid getting uh, discovered. And then at the end, he gets Mjolnir back and kills everyone. I had never heard of that, but that's—I think that's extremely possible. Because mm-hmm. I mean, this the series does go into Norse mythology territory later. Yeah, yeah, we got the Magnus Chase stuff and whatever. Uh, I think that's—I think that's 
I'll call it probable. Yeah. It is also kind of a man and funny, funny Harry Grover in a dress joke. That is the absolute most sympathetic read you can take on it. But it is, even if that was the intention, kind of like that. Yeah, like you can write anything. You oh, see, I wrote this. I wrote this complex plot about it's see, it's it's a really subtle reference to Greek mythology or Norse <laughs> mythology. Like it's still what it is, right? It's still. Yeah. Man, it's still boy in dress, funny joke, Harry. It's, I mean, it's, it's it's not quite played for laughs, but Percy does also say that under other circumstances he would be laughing at it. So I don't know. Yeah, I think it's intended to be humorous. Mm-hmm. It 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 describes like oh Grover putting on a falsetto to yeah. call out and, like he's doing the you know. But it's also kind of it also kind of feels like one what's that story about like the like the lady who tells a bunch of stories to a person so that like he doesn't kill her or whatever. I have uh, absolutely no idea. It's like it was in Scooby Doo and Scooby and, and Shaggy and Scooby Doo would tell tell someone like a thousand of like a thousand and one stories, um because they were the official taste testers for this guy's food. But they ate all the food, and so he was going to kill them. But then they start they started telling him stories, and I think Shaggy was also in a dress at one point. Huh. So, I guess what <laughs> I'm saying is, what do you have to say about Clarice? We didn't get as much of her in these chapters as I was as I was maybe hoping for, but I think she is still moving in that like rival slash ally direction that I was hoping for. Yeah, same. But we do get more of her than we did in like the first book. Mm-hmm. She's definitely getting like more development and more depth. She's being set up for like later on. Yeah, uh, I like that. I like the like like we see her like reservations against like obviously evil, overly evil uh, activities. Director Tantalus. Mm-hmm. When he's like, "Let's bring back the chariot races," and Clarice is like, "Well, I love violent sports, but we gotta patrol the border for like watching out for monsters." Yeah, I like that all the like characters who are opposed to Percy don't just like group together; they can like disagree about stuff. Yeah, and like there's still comments about like, "Oh, Ares, ca- I wouldn't, you know, do swords with Ares' cabin because we're not friends." But like, yeah, of course they're not friends. He beat up their dad. Yeah. <laughs> so like that doesn't even feel like. Like a, like a, I don't know, weird Slytherin thing. It just feels like, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, of course he would do swords, swords fighting with Apollo Cabin. Yeah. I do, what you were saying about Clarice being set up, I think there is a 90% chance they're going to run into her on the quest. Oh, I mean, almost certainly, because they both went out on the quest at the same time. Yeah. I vaguely remember, like, some events that may be like that, and I'm terrified for when we get there. Okay. I only remember one thing from this book. Well, two things. What is it? I remember that the sea monsters were the Bermuda Triangle, and Very I remember like, the big ending twist. I don't remember that, so I guess I'm excited okay. to get there. Intre- I, yeah, I don't, I don't want to say it in case anyone who's listening along also doesn't know. True. I keep wanting to say things like, oh, the coffin obviously contains blah blah blah, but like... Dio. The coffin obviously contains Dio, but... <laughs> oh <laughs> uh, wouldn't that be so good if luke and agrius or agrius maybe agrius no are idea. just like hauling uh dio across the world i'd love that listen they're sworn to an ancient evil who's like a chopped up mutilated body 
And that's what Dio is, so. So true. Oh, God. Yeah, I... And, like, Clarice's The Quest champion makes sense. <laughs> even though it's obviously, like, a spiteful move by a jerk. It's a spiteful like, move, but she's been defending the camp all this time. Yeah, she is the camp's champion. <laughs> like, not just in, like, a kind of weird chariot racing circumstances, but also she has been defending the camp for monsters this whole time. Exactly. There's that gut instinct to be like, oh, Clarissa's the mean one. I don't, it's like, obviously like, oh, it's unfair. The heroes wanted to go on the journey. The heroes wanted to go on the hero's journey. Yeah. But, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's like, yeah, I get it. Yeah. And I like that the, like, you know, Rick's leaning into that because Percy is not spiteful towards Clarice and even observes that she seems to be quite uncomfortable with this. We get a more humanized Clarice. Mm-hmm. Camp Half-Blood transformed into movie Camp Half-Blood while Percy was gone. Ah. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> uh, nothing is more unnerving than that. Like the Why would you say that? You're right, but why would you say that? <laughs> everybody's wearing like armor all the time and they're all like just like polishing their weapons all instead of like hanging out and playing volleyball or whatever. It's Yeah. And the poison like, in the okay. tree has made all the visual effects worse. <laughs> the poison and the tree moved them into a Canadian forest. <laughs> I wonder if that movie was shot in New Zealand. That's the movie that kind of feels like it maybe would have been shot in New Zealand. I feel like that was in a forest outside Vancouver or something. Mm, that could also be right. New Zealand is for like Power Rangers and Lord of the Rings. We talked a little bit last time about like, oh, it's, you know, a very easy kids book trope to be like the 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 safe haven you had last time has now transformed into something dangerous. Yeah. Uh, how do you think that was ex- executed in these this this chapter? Uh, really well, I think. Like, there's so many uh, little atmospheric bits. Like, uh, I'm trying to find it. The part where um, Percy goes on like the informal evening patrol, and like all the satyr satyrs are like playing their little enchanted pipes. And it like it briefly makes everything better, and then they stop, and everything immediately just goes to shit again. Yeah, it's really like apparent how bad this poisoning is affecting everyone, and not just mm-hmm. like the poison is literally like destroying the hill and making like the strawberry fields bad, but also like it, it's obvious, kind of like underneath that, that it's like like Thalia is dying. Yeah, and that's like hurting people's like spirits. It builds such a good sense of atmosphere. We rag on Chiron a lot. Yes. <laughs> and and maybe sometimes a bit unfairly. Mostly because it's funny to laugh at the piss horse. It's very funny to laugh at the piss horse. But it does it does actually kind of like get to your heart to see him go. Mm-hmm. I think it's the part that like Annabeth is in the room while he's saying that he's leaving. And like Annabeth seeing him as like a second father... It's not something that, like, was necessarily, like, established already in the previous book or anything, but it's so, like, obvious, I guess? Yeah, I... The first time I read that, I I thought it felt a little bit out of nowhere, but on reflection, it does, like, make sense that he would view... that she would view him that way. Yeah, because she lives... She's lived at Camp Half-Blood for, like, half her life. That, like, it hurts to see your horse friend go. Yeah. People are... Oh, back to Clarice for a moment... Mm-hmm. Uh, people are like bullying her too. Are they? Somebody what like puts a, a like a oh, kick yeah, me sign the, on her back. 
the you moo girl thing yeah they put a note on her back that says you moo girl which like what the hell i think that's just supposed to be like aries cabin of dicks i mean i don't kind of i think so because like it says immediately after nobody in her cabin was bothering to tell her about it yeah and i don't know if it's specifically saying like oh it was someone in her cabin who did it like or whether it's like somebody else did it but they just don't care Mm -hmm. it's interesting because like uh you know back to bullying you know like we're seeing that like oh sometimes the people who you know are mean to you also are being like bullied too i guess there is not just a designated mean kid all kids are horrible little shits very well yeah sort of yeah very true (laughs) it's just it's bad vibes yeah you feel a lot more sympathetic to clarice i think when when, when she starts being bullied which which kind of feels weird to say what do you think about percy uh being the camp half-blood's best sword fighter in hundreds of years I mean, he took Ares in single combat, so like I feel like that's not unjustified. It's kind of like how like Annabeth used Chiron. It's kind of the same thing with like, oh, like this makes sense, but it takes a minute of like thinking about it to be like, oh yeah, obviously. Yeah, you need you need to like place it in the broader context of the first book to really like make sense of it. Yeah, I wonder if he's like is he like splashing water on himself before every match or is like (laughs) is he just that good now i think that he is creeping behind the stands and just pouring a little bit of water from his canteen on him like some athlete sneaking away to take steroids is that does this count as juicing (laughs) i think they all have magic powers so i don't know where you draw the line with that i guess so i interesting Oh, I, I quickly want to mention that I thought of a very funny joke for last week's episode and then forgot to say it. Okay, tell us your joke. Wait, wait, everybody shut up. Everyone be uh. quiet. Everyone sit down. Jane has a joke. All right. Introducing to the stage, Jane. Well, of course Hephaestus would be the one with a weird fixation on bulls. All right, everyone, that was Jane. Uh, give <laughs> give her a hand. Clap, 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 clap. Yeah, all right, everyone, that was awesome. Okay, everyone, thank you so much for coming tonight. This was your one-woman uh, comedy show. Uh, uh, sorry. <laughs> Listen, I just wanted pop- to mention that before I got invalidated by the <laughs> fact that apparently Hephaestus is also getting some. I mean, yeah, of course he has kids, you know? Like, <laughs> we talked about it last- we talked about it in the last book. Of course Hephaestus is super popular with ladies. It's true. He he knows how to use those hands. Yeah, and like, he seems like he'd be a nice guy. I don't know. Does he? I still think he's probably a bit of a weirdo. Probably- okay, probably. <laughs> but also, okay, that- that that is like ricocheting my brain around to get to something I forgot to talk about earlier. Oh, okay. Hephaestus cabin, forging Tyson. Tyson forging with Hephaestus cabin. Okay, this is interesting. We've arrived at Jacqueline's thought. Yes, we've we've arrived at the, at the station because we learned that like Cyclopes are like confined to the forges of Hephaestus mm-hmm. to like work tirelessly because you know they're like immune to fire and stuff yeah 
it's interesting that like Tyson is finding some degree of like joy and self-actualization and forging with Festus Cabin. Oh yeah, that is kind of. Hmm. I don't know if it's like something like oh it's his base nature or something like that, or if it's like, oh you know he has friends finally. People I mean, who want... I I think like all these kids have a, an element of like destiny and like being boxed in by who their parents are, right? Uh huh. Like. Annabeth wants to be an architect because Athena was. It doesn't seem that out of the question that it's just like, oh yeah, Cyclopes like to forge shit. Yeah, no. Um, I think, and like, there's obviously some degree of like, you know, predestination here. I don't know. It's not like in a super overt, like, oh, I hate this way, but like. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. I don't, I think what it comes down to is like, I think it's even said in the book, like Hephaestus Cabin doesn't judge him because yeah. like they're they're used to Cyclops. It is nice that he has friends. I think that when it comes to people who have friends, someone who doesn't have friends, because no friends, we do have. I think when it comes to friends, mm-hmm. I think when it comes to, I think when it comes to people who have friends, that sucks as a reading. Uh, <laughs> And speaking of people who have friends, uh, Tantalus and Dionysus. Yes, I was actually just about to ask what you thought of um, Dionysus in particular in these chapters. I think he is so good still. Like, hmm. and not like a good person, obviously, but like, obviously, he's letting his like worst nature run because of like who he's around. Yeah. You, usually he's around Chiron, who is like kind of a stick in the mud. Mm-hmm. But like being around Tantalus, who just unabashedly hates everything, like especially Camp Half Blood, like, yeah, of course, like he's going to be a bit more of a jerk than usual. That makes sense. I think, I think there's possibly a bit of a missed opportunity here. Yeah. Where, like, I think it would have been really cool to have Di- uh, Mr. DB, like, the devil you know. Ooh. So, like, because we see he he doesn't like Tantalus that much. He fucks with him a bit and abandons him during the chariot race. Uh-huh. But, like, I think it would have been really interesting if, like, he didn't have a lot of attachment to Chiron, but he's angry that his, like, the person he worked with got taken out from under him for political reasons and was replaced with this asshole. I would have liked that. Yeah. I, we could still maybe see some of that. I'm not sure, but probably not. Uh, like I said, we're getting seem... a little bit of that, but I don't think it's going to be like their dynamic. Yeah. And I I am just kind of enjoying them as like the snarky jerks. Mm-hmm. Tantalus is interesting. I, f- I find him a little bit underwhelming, if I'm honest. Up until this point, every character's had like a really strong design. Like you have like a really good image of what they're supposed to look like. And like... Tantalus is described, but I found myself having to go back a couple of times and read it just because, like, it didn't make much of an impact on me. That makes sense. I didn't really have that same problem. I, I, mm-hmm. I uh, yeah, I, he's, he's kind of generic, but, like, I did think his campfire story was kind of scary, though. That's, like, yeah, he, he's a little bit more intimidating when we get to that. It's, it's one of those things where maybe it's, like, he feels underwhelming on purpose. I guess that could be it, yeah. And then it's like, oh, he's just this weird scrawny guy. But then, oh, he's actually an evil king who stole from the who stole who tried to like 
steal the recipes for ambrosia and or like excuse me or like tried to like reverse engineer it and then classical antiquity version of plankton from a spongebob squarepants oh my god (laughs) (laughs) you're right uh i i feel like kings in mythological ancient greece were always feeding their children to gods yeah that seems regular for them yeah is this i imagine there's there's just like an orchard with a bunch of kings tantalus is just one of them isn't this what coriolanus is about huh i don't know what that is okay i'm trying to think of a shakespeare play where a guy fed like fed andronicus you you, there you go thank you uh i was thinking of coriolanus you were thinking oh you you had the right one though it sounds kind of like titus andronicus I wonder if Titus Andronicus is based off of this, like, anything similar. I'm not sure. The guy in Titus Andronicus, he kidnaps and kills someone else's kids and then feeds them the kids. Mm, that's true. So it's it's a kind of a different thing, and it's like it's vindictive in a different way, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Anyway, so we get introduced to the Sea of Monsters as a concept in these chapters. Yeah, the but, idea of it being in the Bermuda Triangle is... That's that's a slam dunk. That's a really good idea you had there, Rick. It absolutely fits with within like the way things were established to work in the last book. It's just a really great addition. It makes you think, like, what other stuff has moved and shifted around? Should we talk about Hermes? Yeah, let's let's do that. So when, I, when I was saying at the top of this that, like, oh yeah, there's some scenes in this that I really like, the scene with Hermes was absolutely what I was talking about. This might be the strongest scene in these in the book so far. Mm-hmm. Hermes, I love how Hermes. This is so brilliant. He's like Percy sees him and thinks he's just some dude who's jogging and accidentally <laughs> wandered into Camp Half Blood, and then he pulls out his flip phone, which has got like the like the antenna thing and the ante- it has the caduceus around it. It's yeah. so perfect. I just I love how chill he is. Yeah. Like these 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 chapters have been like really really stressful for Percy. They just piled problem after problem onto him, and him just getting being able to sit down and chat with this guy, who is completely relaxed, is really nice. And seems very confident, Percy. Kind of like Hermes specifically see- seeks him out. Like, hey, Percy Jackson, maybe you can like. Percy Jackson as a series so far is really good at awkward father-son relationships. It sure is. And this is another really good example when Percy realizes that Hermes is like saying without saying that per- that he wants Percy to like turn Luke back to good. I wonder if Rick is working through some stuff. He might be. Uh, <laughs> but it's it's really good because like it humanizes the gods some more. Mm-hmm. as like like Hermes is like he's not gonna come right out and say like per, like he kind of says it because they get into a conversation about like oh you can you should always try and save family or whatever mm-hmm. but he doesn't just come up to Percy and say hey help me save my kids yeah but that is obviously like the the reason mm-hmm. and I think it's nice that like because this isn't like a healthy father-son relationship either this is like absolutely not because we know that luke hates hermes absolutely despises him 
Let's like his big villain motivation is that he hates his dad so much. Mm-hmm. And I think that's it's valuable to see like it's valuable to see Hermes after learning that because this is the textbook like oh my dad's just so busy all the time he never has any time for me. He's always making business calls. He's like that type of character the to a T. He's always talking to his snakes. Always. And I love the snakes. The snakes are extremely good. I love George and Martha. George and Martha have my heart. The When they're like fighting with each other and he's all like, don't get yourselves tied up in a knot again. And they're like, they're like, sorry. Whatever. It's so good. And George, George just keeps asking Percy to bring him a rat. Ah, <laughs> oh, and then they vomit up the gifts. They unhinged, unhinged their little <laughs> snake jaws to give the gifts to Percy. Ah, oh, perfect. I have to confess to being, uh, for reading something in a slightly embarrassing way. Uh-huh. Like Hermes uh, re- reconstitutes his phone into his staff. And from the description of it, I went, oh yeah, it's the, um, it's the symbol from the medbay in the Enterprise. Shane. Yeah. Jane. I know. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> You'll be good. You'll be okay one of these days. One of these days. The best joke in this novel so far is Hermes telling uh, George or Martha to just refer someone to Eris in customer service. <laughs> it, it's just a funny li- I It's good. Like a little like, oh, get it? Because Eris is the god of, goddess of discord and uh, customer service is discordant you know it's 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 good does that mean that eris is currently uh ferrying this call i don't understand she's the goddess of discord oh i get it that was funny <laughs> thank you uh yeah she is hello eris hello yeah that's that's my second patron after aphrodite <laughs> uh i mean yeah. we could just run this podcast over skype if we lose that mm, we don't wanna I mean- but we could yeah, that's true. That's that's a scary concept. I, I, I left Skype many years ago after years of Homestuck RP and various, various things. Various. I mean, you've years. already said the most regrettable thing you could possibly do on Skype. So. I mean, I started out on MSP, MSPARP, uh, or <laughs> as I as we affectionately called it back then, MSPARP, or at least as I called it. Hey. <laughs> what? Pop sounds like a fart noise. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, uh, they would let you have like little special icons of like not icons, but they would like automatically convert your like text to the typing quirk or whatever, and like the color of the character you're playing as. It was good. Uh, it wasn't good all the time because you would just do like Omegle. Is it Omegle? I always say Omegle. It's I always like, say Omegle as well. I don't know what's correct. I I um, it would just have like Omegle style. Like you click a button as like. Have a rant, and it would be like uh, future carcinogenotherapist uh, uh, has uh, not not carcinogenotherapist. Wait, what? what are you talking about? It would just be like you know, like uh, uh, whatever. Who cares? I don't need to get into the intricate details of Homestuck role playing on our Percy po- Jackson podcast. But hey, listener, to... if you want to hear me suffering. While Jacqueline makes me uh, read Homestuck, subscribe to the Patreon and listen to our bonus episodes. Yeah, we have a recurring segment now where Jane every week has to read Homestuck. And now she loves it. Incorrect. 
find out which of us is right on the Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, speaking of Hermes being awesome, uh, Hermes Cavan uh, is noted as like having the guys who can smuggle in coke from the nearest convenience store. Yeah, that tracks. That rules. Uh, screw Luke's video game room. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's there's always like it's it's that same kind of like oh they have a connection to the outside world but I think done much better I think that that's the only part of Camp Half-Blood that didn't turn into a movie there is no gamer cabin I wish there was a... <sighs> okay one of the one of the cabins has to be has to be gamers which one would it be oh See, I want to say Hephaestus, because he's a weirdo, but also most of his kids seem nice so far. So it feels unfair to paint them like that. The one I will say is Aphrodite and Vilay. Or they would, like, play... You know when people play video games on Twitch, but they, like, have the video game in the smaller window and their self in the largest window? Mm-hmm. I think they would do that. Um... <laughs> uh, that's that's Aphrodite cabin behavior. If you're a child of Aphrodite in 2021, uh, you absolutely have a live 2D rig. Oh my! Do you though? Because like you're you're you would probably want to show off your face cam or whatever, right? Hmm. You switch back and forth so you can you can draw in both audiences. You're right. You're right. Maximum attraction. Exactly. Well, we haven't even talked about the chariot race. Oh, we haven't. Uh, okay. The chariot race is really good. I think it's a downgrade from CTF2 Fort in the first book. I don't disagree. It's definitely like a downgrade, but I still think it's better than Quidditch. It is better than Quidditch, and I suppose, like, the thing is that even though it is a downgrade from Capture the Flag... It means that Rick isn't just tying himself to doing the same damn thing every book, which was yeah. half of what made Quidditch so terrible. Yeah, absolutely. So he's We're not dodging that problem. If we got like a like legitimately got like a different sporting event in every book, I would be very happy with that. Even if some yeah. of them are like less good than others. Yeah, I mean, the main thing that this is missing, and I think this can absolutely be put like put back into other events that are um, possibly in later books. Is that it's missing like the um, inter cabin politics and like alliance building that made like the build up to capture the flag so fun? I I agree. I think this is it serves the same. It serves a different purpose, but it still serves a purpose. And so uh-huh. far as in this book, we're meeting a bunch of different cabin people. Like we're meeting a bunch of different campers. Mm-hmm. Because our viewpoint was pretty limited to like just Clarice and Aries cabin. Luke and uh, our main character's last book. That's true. Now we now we've got Silena Beauregard from you know uh, Aphrodite, Aphrodite. Cabin. We've got uh, Charles Beckendorf. We've got the Stoll brothers. We've got everybody. It's like we're we're introduced to a lot of new characters, and so I think uh, since we're like giving a bit more focus to the other cabins, it's good that we have these like the individual cabins competing and showing off their strengths. Yeah, that makes sense. I do think that the Stoll brothers is. I don't know. I'm saying. I think it's. Uh, I think Percy should have got more appreciation for cracking that joke about their surnames. I think that's a good joke, and he should be lauded for it. 
I I agree. I I was gonna just make a joke like oh Stoll Brothers, but they're gone. But then I remember that that was actually a joke that they made in the book. Not so, only is it a joke that's in the book, it's a joke that nobody thought was funny. <laughs> yeah, so I guess it's a good thing that I didn't say it. Uh, <laughs> that's okay. I find it funny. I'm glad you find it funny. This is a podcast that we basically just do for each other. It's true. Thank you, all our, all our, all our loyal listeners. Thank you. Ah, uh, me falling down. We haven't talked about the ship yet, huh? Yeah, I was about. To, that's the other thing we haven't addressed is like all of chapter eight. I have no notes on chapter eight. <laughs> I don't I've know also why. got very few. I was worried that that was like, oh, I just won't have anything to say about this. Apparently, it's just not that interesting. It was okay. It was like fine as it was kind of boring. It's just it's going from point A to point B and then setting up like where all the stuff is actually going to happen in the next few chapters. Yeah, like I can appreciate a good setup chapter. It's just not the pace I'm used to. Uh, how do you mean? Like last chapter, not last chapter. Like last book, usually the way that like in- encounters freaking RPG BS terminology listen they, they literally go on a side quest in that book their encounters yeah i mean i guess it's kind of a main quest i guess it's, some... it's secretly revealed to tie back to the main quest but still yeah uh the the different encounters that they have are like in the first book they were largely isolated they were like one chapter is this one chapter is this mm-hmm. one chapter is this we got i don't think very few if any instances of like okay maybe the haiti stuff but that feels too big to count of like they get to a like encounter of like some enemy and there they have to like they have to set up first you know what i mean they, have, they don't have well, they haven't usually had a chapter set up even with um with hades in the lead up we got like percy going and getting the gifts and having like that conversation where we learn more about poseidon and then the encounter with Procrustes, and then Charon, and then Cerberus, and then, like, Kronos, and then we get to Hades. Yeah. So I think that's that's what I mean by, like, the pace feels completely different to me. Yeah. It's not necessarily bad. A set-up pro- chapter is probably not... Ne- I don't know. I haven't read the next chapters yet. It, it might be necessary. I thought that it was interesting to... Mm-hmm. Actually, there wasn't a lot that was interesting. There's not really. I mean, them. It had the same energy as like the Medusa chapter, I think, with them just showing up somewhere, kind of just exhausted and wanting to lay down for a while, but with no Snake Lady fight. <laughs> because they go right to sleep as soon as they get there. Yeah, I'm not sure if, because I I remember even while I was thinking that, thinking you have, you just kind of got up in the middle of the night drank some coke, and then rode a horse for five minutes. I'm not sure why you're so burnt out. <laughs> I mean, maybe riding a riding a seahorsey is, like, you know, really, really exhausting. I think it even says that it's quite easy and Percy doesn't even need to hold on to it. <laughs> well, listen, you, you can use facts and logic all you like, but... <laughs> you're immune. I'm immune to facts and logic. Uh, yeah, it, it, this chapter was kind of nothing. It's, I don't know. I, I guess I was surprised to see Luke, kind of. Uh, he was always going to show up. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think the thing that it was is that I think it's... Mm, 
I keep trying to say like, oh, I think it's interesting that blank, but nothing comes to mind. There is there is a couple of parts of this chapter that I do like. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I like that um, when Percy is like he's talking about his mother naming him and wanting to have like the same luck as Perseus, and he says like, oh, all the other Greek heroes died, betrayed, mauled, mutilated, poisoned, or cursed by the gods. And I just think it's neat that like. If you actually go over that list and go over the events of the Lightning Thief, all of those things have already happened to Percy. Oh my god. Wait, yeah, you're right. That's really funny. <laughs> I, I didn't even realize that. Yeah, but it's just it's a neat little thing. None of it took him out of the action, so I guess he's got that luck. Yeah. That 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 is a really good moment. I hadn't thought about it. Uh and it's like it's sweet too. We get some uh some more like It tells us a little bit about Sally. It tells us a little bit about Sally, and that's nice. I also appreciate that um, Annabeth, like, can't spell Cyclops. That was like, really good, because sometimes I think I get to it, like, we get too into the, like, oh, Annabeth's just, like, the smart girl or whatever. And, like, yeah. it doesn't make you dumb to not be able to sm- spell or whatever, but, like, uh, or it doesn't make you not smart, you know, or whatever, to not be able to smell. Smell? Cute. Let me try that one more time. <laughs> it doesn't make you like not smart to not be able to spell but i think it's like a good reminder like hey these characters still have dyslexia yeah like her being like the smart one tm doesn't like it doesn't like cancel out the dyslexia that she has yeah which is really good i mm-hmm. i i i like i like that uh, it yeah, was also um, a very humorous scene because it was kind of unexpected. Yeah, like the way she reacts to it as well is quite funny. Like she like stamps her foot. Yeah, uh, these are children. It's so it, these are seventh graders. It's very good. It's true. I I feel like you all, you might sometimes it's easy to forget that like these are twelve year olds running around with swords and such. Although yeah, it's not very responsible. Luke is like fifteen. How old is Luke? He's like 18, right? 17, I think. I guess he would be 18 now because this is a year later. Yeah, that's that's interesting because I always I I guess I forgot that like there was that age difference there. And it makes mm-hmm. I think it makes sense uh Annabeth like has a crush on him like, oh yeah, you know, the older kid, you have a crush it on him. It also makes sense that Percy has a crush on him. True. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the same thing, the cool older kid you have a crush on. It's Who classic. has now betrayed them? Who has now betrayed them? And you probably have, I okay. What I am excited for in these upcoming chapters to, is to see any like harsh like feelings and like d- dynamics that have had to change. Because yeah, we, have, we haven't seen like Annabeth and Luke interact yet uh, since he betrayed the camp. Yeah, there's like this um right uh, also during that uh, evening patrol scene that I was talking about before. There's also a section where we get like we see Percy processing his feelings about Luke betraying him, like, for the first time, really. Because book one ended, like, right after it happened. We didn't really get his reaction to that beyond just shock. And we can actually see how those feelings have grown and festered and become, like, real hatred for Luke. And I'm really excited to see how that goes when they, like, confront each other again. I I really like, like, the, just, like, contemplative scene of him, like, sitting on the hill... And looking at his scar from where the pit scorpion stung him. Yeah. That was really good. Uh, I just have one more thing to say that I liked. Okay. 
which is I just uh, I think the conversation that um, Annabeth and Percy have while they're like washing dishes and talking about the Golden Fleece, like even though it's just an exposition dump, that's a very funny interaction. Like it's... Percy's little in- Percy's little interjections are just like they distract you from the fact that it's just telling you stuff. Yeah, like I she's telling I didn't mention this in the summary because because time and yeah. if I mentioned like every interesting or like pro- maybe important detail that would happen, I we would have had like a twelve minute summary. Uh, it's true. This felt like so these chap these chapters felt so packed, but she's telling him like the myth of like Europa and what's his face and Cadmus. Cadmus uh, from Superman and <laughs> she's telling him the myth of a Cadmus in Europa and he's and she's like oh you know at one point Europa falls off the, the, the falls down and dies in the sea but it doesn't really matter and Percy's like it mattered to her <laughs> it, it's good yeah all right I think that's everything for these set of chapters yeah I think we can uh wrap it up uh if you'd like to reach the show you can drop us an email at unwisegirlspod at gmail.com or find us on twitter at unwisegirls where we also have a link to our official discord server if you like us you can support us by continuing to download our episodes maybe leaving a nice rating and review and checking out our patreon at uh i don't usually say the link which is a mistake patreon.com slash unwisegirls for one dollar a month, you get a special role in our Discord, marking you as a camp counselor. For three dollars a month, you get an even specialer role as a friend of Dionysus, and access to all of our bonus content. And if you're feeling especially generous, for five dollars, you get the special stroll of Aphrodite's Chosen, all the bonus content, and uh, a shout out at the end of episodes. Speaking of which, uh, this week we like to thank Mercy. Veronica, friend, and Medusa, Daddy Poseidon's ex. Thank you, everyone. Oh, wait we we have a segment that we almost forgot to do. Oh yeah, let's do a segment. We might need to like edit. Do we want to edit this back? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Uh, we have been forgetting to do this segment lately, and we need to talk about uh, which Percy Jackson characters are not cishet based on these chapters. Jacqueline, do you have any thoughts? My nominee is. Silena Beauregard. She mm-hmm. has huge uh, lesbian energy to me. <laughs> a name like Silena Beauregard, you're either like a weird racist or like uh, <laughs> a cool lesbian. I mean, given that this is a camp that is now constantly talking about how much they love Border Patrol, it may be the former. Oh, I don't want to think about that. And she teaches Percy how to how to uh, ride a Pegasus. That's nice. Yeah. Who's your nominee? Uh, my nominees are Percy and Grover, because they have bonded their souls to one another. <laughs> they are married. Which does not does not seem like very heterosexual behavior to me. No. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. As we say at the end of every episode. See you next week, Camp Half Blood. See you next week, Camp Half Blood. Mm-hmm.